It's WKXL in the morning on 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, 101.9 FM Manchester, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. It's time for our weekly segment with the New Hampshire Bulletin. More from them at newhampshirebulletin.com. Also, be sure to follow them on Facebook and Twitter. This week, reporter Amanda Gokey's back. Welcome. Hi, AJ. Thank you for having me. So energy rates have been uh, all over headlines the last few weeks, especially with the upcoming uh, increases in rates that are going to be hitting like in September, I want to say it is. Uh, and, in August, but, actually. In August, so it's much sooner than everyone wants to yeah, uh, deal with. Yeah, up soon. So the state is actually looking at a 10-year energy strategy focusing on addressing these high costs. And th- there has to be many, many facets to something like that, if I had to guess. Yeah, absolutely. So this is sort of a, a document that's put out by the Department of Energy and their main priority, the sort of goal, our overarching goal and priority of this plan is addressing energy costs. You know, they say they looked at data from 2019 um, and found that on a typical resident of New Hampshire was paying over $4,000 per year in, in energy costs. And that makes it, you know, one of the most expensive places in the country. Um, so they do, as you say, they look at a lot of different ways that um, these costs could be brought down and they basically make a series of recommendations. Um, it's meant to sort of be guidance for policymakers. So as people looking forward are, are making the decisions that will determine energy costs, this is sort of a document that's supposed to, to guide them through that. Um, it basically argues... Um, in favor of market-based solutions and having the state use as much market sort of based approach as possible. It argues against um, things like using subsidies. Um, So if there's, you know, industries that would rely on a subsidy um, this, this report, this strategy is, is telling policymakers to steer clear of that um not a huge surprise there considering the republican-led uh house and senate and governor's office and plus in the anyways in the long term new new hampshire being a rural state it's hard for us to necessarily subsidize uh programs like that like new york or california would be able to yeah that's a really good point and so i and i think that um you know, as I mentioned, it was the Department of Energy that did create this report. And one of the goals that department is is relatively new. So it's the first time it's creating this report. It's only been around for about a year now since it was since it was first created. Um, And one of the goals that people had for that department was to really articulate to spell out what is the state's energy policy going to be. And I would say that this strategy is, you know, one piece of that and one place where we see that um, getting articulated as, as you, as you pointed out. Um, And it does address other, you know, ways of, of lowering costs. So it does mention things like um, energy efficiency, which is obviously if you can use less energy through things by weatherizing your home or getting more efficient lights or more efficient appliances, you're, you're using less energy and, and therefore, you're going to spend less on energy. Um, and that also can drive down prices for everyone, because when there's less demand, um, prices can come that can bring energy prices down. So it it does recognize that, you know, it says 
the government needs to allow for innovation um, and then that will be helpful in terms of bringing new technologies and potentially lower cost technologies. Um, it, it really argues in favor of letting um, you know, different types of energy generation kind of compete on the free market for um, in terms of what's lowest cost and that that's how these choices should should be made. And, you know, I should say, too, um, this this approach has been criticized by people who are clean energy advocates. And, um, you know, they point to things like the energy industry is, is really highly regulated. So there's kind of a tension there between trying to lean heavily on, um, you know, free market mechanisms in a space that is constricted by such heavy regulations. And they also point to things like, um, you know, fossil fuel subsidies that are, you know, those are happening at the federal level um, and have been for quite some time. Um, so those are some of their arguments. And they say, you know, public funding is needed to bring more renewable energy online um, so that we can have benefits from that more, more quickly. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird spot when you look at the state being able to make big changes. Usually you want to go one way or the other. You want to open it up so that there's less um, regulations on expanding innovations and different ways of handling energy or the other way where you you invest, you keep it highly regulated, but you invest a ton of money into it. It feels like they're trying to play middle of the road, but obviously it's still early days of uh, Department of Energy here in the state. Right. And then another interesting piece of this report that I'll, I can highlight is, um, you know, they say that New Hampshire should be protected. New Hampshire ratepayers should be protected from energy decisions that other states make. So they sort of make the case, you know, if other if our neighbors, you know, who are have been much more aggressive in terms of setting renewable energy goals, more aggressive in, um, you know, setting emissions goals for reducing emissions, if they want to invest in in those technologies and pay more or pay above market price for energy, uh, this strategy says, well, New Hampshire ratepayers shouldn't have to foot the bill for that. So they're kind of encouraging policymakers to think of almost protectionist measures to, to make sure that New Hampshire's interests in the region are, um, are you know, tended to. Are they as did this touch upon at all our tremendous reliance on natural gas in the state? Um, it so it does provide an energy overview in the report. So it it, it definitely covers that, um, and it does talk. There's a section that talks about, you know, one of the the purposes of this goal is of this strategy is to ensure that there's a diversity of energy sources. Um, so, you know, in a presentation on, on this strategy last, last week, um, the department did emphasize, you know, the ways that renewable generation is increasing. It pointed to things like solar and wind that have grown over the past decade. Um, but it, it is still interesting. I mean, in 2011, there was, you know, there was essentially a negligible amount of, of solar in the state. And even now it's increased, you know, many times over that, but it still only represents 1% of, of energy generation in, in New Hampshire. Um, and so that was just interesting to see that, you know, while there have been, you know, big increases in some of those renewables, it's just still a, a pretty small 
fraction of the overall pie and things like climate change can affect that as well. So, um, you know, one of the examples that came up was hydropower had had gone down in that time. And the department said that's likely to, those numbers are likely to be low this year as well because there's drought right now. And most of our hydropower is run of the river. And so, you know, if the water isn't flowing you're not gonna get as much uh, energy from that from that source. Are there any, uh, is this, did this cover anything that we can maybe expect over the next couple of years that is a goal that the, is in this plan or is this mainly longer term planning? Yeah, well, that was actually another criticism that came up with this um, plan. It doesn't set sort of concrete targets or specific goals. So it doesn't call out specific things. Um, it's more kind of the broad brushstrokes and um I would say it is more providing like a general direction and policy preference. And it's, it's less kind of concrete measurable steps that, that um, would sort of more clearly spell out what we might expect to see in the, in the future. Yeah. It seems like this department's still kind of figuring out its footing with what it's responsible for or not responsible for is, is, is a state level department of energy kind of unique in this part of the country. That's a good question. Um, you know, I know that from covering Vermont, they don't have a Department of Energy there. I think it's it's just handled, but from different um, different agencies that that oversee that. But it, you know, it's a good question to look into, and I'll I'll do some reporting on it and get back to you. That'd be awesome. It looks like Maine's has a energy office and the governor, but it seems like New Hampshire is kind of unique in having a separate department that would be responsible for something like this. I mean, hopefully long run, they can figure out what they want to do, because it seems like if, if an agency doesn't have goals, it's really hard for them to a actually figure out what they're supposed to be doing year to year and b be held accountable for the different things that they uh, put on paper. Well, and I'm really curious to see how this unfolds as well, because obviously there's such extreme pressure right now to kind of come up with some meaningful solutions to this problem. You know, come winter, these expensive energy costs are really going to hit people hard. And, you know, it's worth noting it's going to affect the low income families the most um, of anyone in the state. So I think that it's you know, in the state's interest to have some clear answers on these questions. Move over to uh, something else that's been going on in New Hampshire is replacing lead pipelines that are in the state. This is something that has been federally mandated with certain timelines that have been put in place. How's New Hampshire handling this at this point? Yeah, so this is something that will be up for a vote Um our, this segment will run Friday, so it'll be up for a vote actually today um, in, in front of fiscal. Basically, you know, there are there's a lot of money right now in federal aid that's coming to the state of New Hampshire and water systems have received a ton of that money. Over $100 million has gone to upgrading water systems. Um, a lot of that has been in the form of, of grants. Um, Basically, what the Department of Environmental Services is asking is to use $4 million of that sort of big chunk of, of ARPA funding, the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, and it, they, they want to help basically small water systems 
that are providing service to 850 or less people in the state, or excuse me, to 1500 or less people in the state, um, because they have to figure out these small water systems have to figure out where exactly the lead pipes are located. And, you know, if you only have a few employees, uh, maybe you only have part-time employees that are working some of these water systems, that, that can be a really big ask. And so the department basically with this $4 million, what it wants to do is hire some contractors who, you know, can go out and kind of do this work for all the small water systems. So they have the inventory in place. Once they know where all the pipes are, they can come up with a plan for removing them. And those plans are due in just two years, which is, you know, it's not a ton of time. Uh, when I spoke with um, the Department of Environmental Services, they told me there were hundreds of thousands of lead pipes in the state. Um, so it's a really big number and it's a lot of work to do between, between now and then. There is federal funding available to actually remove the pipes, but again, you have to know where they are before you can get them out. Yeah, Joyce of uh, once again, rural New Hampshire, any or any other rural state state in the country. I mean, it's if you don't have like the plans for the last hundred years of development in, in your town, you you're not going to have any idea. And if you're replacing water pipes, it's not something you can just turn off and oh, we'll switch it over eventually. It's like no, it's water. They need to immediately put something in place or put a redundant system in place to make sure people aren't going to go without an essential thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, um, you know, on top of that, I think there's the urgency of lead exposure is, is, is not something that, um, we want anybody to have to, to live with. So getting these out as soon, as soon as possible, I think is, is, um, something the state is going to have to spend some time and, and money to, to make it, to make it happen. Um, so, yeah. Let's move over to some internet, some other uh, infrastructure. I guess it's the infrastructure episode. We don't usually talk it, but this is entirely what we're talking about today. Broadband <laughs> is super important in modern times here. We're literally doing this episode over broadband internet and on via Zoom. I mean, it, it's vital in order for various rural towns to be able to get a lot of economic development nowadays, especially, especially when you look up north where maybe there's not as many brick and mortar businesses. Nowadays, especially post-COVID, there's a lot more opportunities with that. Uh, it looks like there's some uh, funding that's being put out there to kind of fund some remaining communities that maybe haven't been hit by various projects over the last decade. Yeah, that's right. So there's actually, it's going to be a $50 million project. Um, that does sound like a lot of money, but I think it's important to keep in mind that broadband build out, building the infrastructure for broadband can be really costly. Um, a sort of announcement from the governor's office estimated that this money would cover about 15,000 um, homes and businesses that don't currently have access to high-speed internet. And that's approximately half of the, the folks in the state who don't have access to internet right now. And basically this money, the um, the state has currently put out a request for proposals. So contractors can bid for this contract. And um, you know, in the state's request for proposals, it, it basically says they're looking at giving this 50, this $50 million um, just to one contractor. Um, so it's a pretty, 
it's a pretty big contract and it was written sort of to favor um, nonprofits and cooperatives. So, you know, we do have obviously the New Hampshire Electric Co-op, which has been um, sort of venturing into the area of broadband and they're providing broadband already to some of the people in their um, service area. And so, you know, that could be one one potential outcome of this that we might see the co-op um, is already providing service. So they're sort of well situated to um, to bid on a contract like this. I talked with um, Henry Underwood. He works for the Southwest Region Planning Commission. And he said, you know, while this this uh, the request for proposals, it, are, it also prioritizes places like municipalities. But he said there's no municipality that would be ready to um, to bid on a project like this because it, you know, you kind of have to have all the planning already in place. Um, so so that was one sort of limitation for those players who might be otherwise interested in um, in getting in on this. Yeah. And it, basically, there's a huge project about, oh God, I want to say 10 or 12 years ago, the Connect to New Hampshire project, which the University uh, of New Hampshire was a was a large player and organizer for doing. And there, there were tons of other uh, partners in the project, but that's all gone now. <laughs> like that organization doesn't exist anymore. They did a, a great job with getting a huge fiber ring around the state and providing a certain level of service to communities that didn't have it before. But, but as you mentioned at the beginning, I, I was talking about this is that la- it's called the last mile is tremendously expensive because you need a team of workers that goes from wherever there happens to be internet. It could be miles away. And then they got to set up literally wires along 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 the road to get to wherever has has to go ultimately and they're in a weird spot right now especially i'd say because fiber is the next thing and odds are these communities are going to be last in line to to get this even better internet so it's it'll be interesting to see how much of that ends up being just coaxial cable like we've been using for decades and just to get them off phone line they do say, so the state did indicate a preference for fiber. So, and they also have speed stipulations. Um, so, you know, certain things, yeah, like dial up, you know, those speeds are so low. So that would kind of cut out some of those options. Um, and fiber is kind of considered to be the future proof um, technologies as far as I've, as far as I've heard. Um, and to your point, you know, it's a good one. The the reason a lot of these rural and remote areas are left behind is because it's not profitable for companies to invest, you know, tens of millions of dollars if you have three people living at the end of a at the end of a road. And that has raised sort of some critique of this approach in the past is, you know, potentially giving public money to private companies that have you know, basically turned up their nose at these at at serving these areas in the past. Um, but I think here the thought is that a you know a public private partnership is is the way of of reaching these people, and there is that priority given to municipalities, co ops, and and nonprofit groups. Amanda Goki, New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. 
NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more of their writing. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday in the 6 a.m. hour with all the episodes available on demand at NHTalkRadio.com and video versions of the show available on our YouTube channel and Facebook. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted. We'll be back after this.